Gathering is finally here. I think it was here uh, probably in an earlier episode too, but like now it feels like it's really here. We're past Fool's Spring, as Lucas has brought up before. Now we're into the real thing, and I'm really looking forward to uh, going around, doing some walking in this really lovely looking weather. And uh, yeah, it's it's the the year is starting to turn around weather-wise. I gotta take my winter tires off, Will. Oh still yeah. Got them, still got them winter tires on. Aye, aye, aye. It never ends. But yeah, no, everybody, uh, this is not gonna mean anything to... Though I've, I've seen people, it's funny, um, it seems like everywhere has your weather on the East Coast. Like, when I see people from New York are like, wow, it's a beautiful spring day. I'm like, wait, it's spring here in Nova Scotia as well. And people from <laughs> uh, Toronto seem to be experiencing a beautiful spring day as well. So, despite Canada being such a big country, uh, it seems like ev almost everyone has enjoyed the spring today. I certainly hope so, and I hope that you are too, listener, who is joining us for another episode of Elwood City Limits, the Episodic Arthur podcast. My name's Will Young, Lucas Mancini is my co-host, and yeah, we're going to be talking about, we're getting very close to the end of the season of Arthur that we find ourselves on, and we're actually recording this right before my vacation, so let's get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We've got some stuff to say about this penultimate episode of season 16, I keep having to remind myself what season it is, what number it is, I should say. It's This has been a this has been a pretty solid season, all things considered, but it's just the numbering is starting to really, really screw with me. Before we get into that, though, of course, we turn over to our mailbag, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com, and we do have one piece of correspondence, which, remember, that is where you can send us your correspondence as well. Uh, and whether it's to be read on the podcast or whether it is to be read privately, it's all good. This one comes to us from DJ. Hey, Lucas, speaking of greetings from Ontario, Canada, Will and Lucas. Very interesting that my vacation is going to be taking me to Ontario as well, very briefly. I'm an up-and-coming animator slash cartoon artist on the autism spectrum with a pair of animated shorts submitted to film festivals, a couple of illustrated books self-published, and a reasonably popular YouTube channel. More to the point, I've been a religious Arthur viewer for many years since childhood. I've been binging the heck out of your podcast. Elwood City Limits is the most addictive podcast I've gotten into since Talkin' Tunes with Rob Paulson. Wow, that's a pretty, pretty big compliment there. The earliest known time I heard about Elwood City Limits was when Patricia from the Old School Lane YouTube channel interviewed Will in 2019. Yeah, that's right. Oh, my gosh. That was four years ago. That uh, that interview is still up on YouTube if you'd like to hear it. It's a little bit of the history of Elwood City Limits and my relationship to Arthur. That's uh, Old School Lane on YouTube. Admittedly, I only listened to the podcast sporadically at first, but by the time I found your YouTube channel in late 2022, that's when I progressively became more and more fond of the fun chemistry between you two as you helped me revisit memories of this top-tier children's cartoon. Lucas really is the buster to Will's art. <laughs> I, I don't know if you just added an extra inflection on that that makes it almost sound like an insult, but uh, uh, no, I know. I know it's a compliment, and I, I agree. I think that's why this show works. It was more emphasis because I think that's the dynamic. I mean, we push that dynamic too. That's part of the, uh, that's part of the commissioned art that we got from Rich Morris that you can see on our Facebook header. That's one of my f uh, favorite pieces of art that we've gotten from the show. If you don't mind, I'm going to list some of the funniest moments involving you guys, in hopes that you'll laugh along with me. So, Lucas, let's let's see yeah. if we can remember some of these. I don't mind at all. Let's hear the the hit list of the top ten Lucas and Will moments. Well, I know you love this one, and and listen, long time listeners, we're bringing it up again. 
your Todd McFarlane impressions in episode 127 for how they sound like either Peter Griffin or Suze from Gravity Falls. I'm not familiar with the second reference, but I will say that um, uh, Norm MacDonald once said that to properly impersonate someone, you have to love them. And... uh, (laughs) Yeah, my, yeah, I love I love Todd McFarlane, and I wish that H my my dream TV show. I don't care about TV. My dream TV show is they make season four of Todd McFarlane's Spawn, and they act like it's still the '90s and nothing's changed, and they still let him film his silly little intros. Uh, next one is Will comparing Telly Monsters looks to Leslie Nielsen in the For the Kids episode of Elmo's World. By the way, since Will didn't know what Telly's personality was, I'll summarize by saying that he is a triangle-loving worrywart. He does look like Leslie Nielsen. I stand by that. Will apparently not knowing until reviewing the episode The Cherry Tree that cherries grew on trees and Lucas's reaction to this. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I got to own George that George Washington. George Washington, bro. He chopped that thing down. Anyway, well, continue. that's American history. I don't have to know about that. <laughs> Luke, Luke is saying in episode 113 that Arthur's packing heat, much to Will's confusion. Mm. Well, what would he be packing heat for, I wonder? He, I, kept, he kept that MF and thang on him. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I, uh, I know what you're saying now. Maybe in 113. I wasn't so sure. The entire Zabumafu April Fools podcast, especially Lucas's horse-ish rap, and mentioning that future designer and Migos all sound alike. Boy, if you couldn't tell that that episode was recorded in 2017, mm. future designer and Migos uh, See, will properly date that, especially he designer. Mu- he must be talking about some sort of other podcast. I don't know anything about that. No, that's true. We we you know, briefly hosted it, but uh, I'm not familiar. Before I close off this letter, I'm wishing you luck as you continue your journey through season 16. There are two episodes I'm most excited for you to talk about. Well, we only got like two, four of them left, and they're both Sue Ellen centered. Sue Ellen veges out for animal hierarchy reasons, and so funny I forgot to laugh. A really infamous episode, almost on Arthur's big hit levels, for how grossly out of character Arthur was in it. Thank you for brightening my days with your podcast, and I hope to send in more fan mail soon. Have a great Easter weekend. This one's a little bit older. and uh, We did, I think. Warm regards from DJ. Thank you, DJ. And that's ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. It's true, Lucas, uh, this episode that we're talking about today, as well as the one that we'll, we will be talking about next time, uh, have certain degrees of infamy, at least among like the Arthur Discord and Arthur fans that I've seen. So we'll be talking about one of them. Uh, in just a few moments here. But of course, want to say thank you to everybody who is on our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Limits. You enable us to keep the show going, and you also get little perks along the way, such as getting this episode a week early and all ECL episodes a week early, and access to our side podcasts, such as this month, For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast where we will be talking about Peep and the Big Wide World. So that's, and that's entirely new for us, PBS Kids. And you can also listen to our latest episode of ECL Origins about one of our favorite favorite cartoons ever, Sticking Around. It's a great episode. If you haven't checked it out yet, patrons, make sure that you do. Patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. We want to say a special thank you to p- patrons such as Jake Bailey, Shayna Bennett, Sierra S., Rachel Pearson, Peebs, Matt. We want to say thank you to Owen and to Nicholas DeMarco. Thank you to Sydney Long and to Greenhouse Vinyls. Thank you to Kirsten and to Kelly Corbett. Thank you so much to the Flying Sparks 32 
and also to R.G. and Anthony Williams. Thank you to Jeffrey Norris and Emma. Thank you to Chloe and Dear Miss Elizabeth, a.k.a. Z. And thank you to Cecil Robinson and Thunder Yetta. Many more than that, of course, and I'm keeping track of them on my big old Excel spreadsheet. So if you didn't hear it this time, you will get yours very, very soon. But if you haven't heard yours in a while, feel free to let me know over on Patreon. So thank you to all our patrons as we step into another episode of Arthur here. And as we always, well, usually like to see, it's a Fern episode, right from the jump. Fern in the case of the stolen story. And the idea here from the cold open, Lucas, is that Fern is trying to think of a story for Muffy's fiction forum, and she just has no ideas. You can tell that this episode uh, is not from 2023 because Fern would have just gotten ChatGPT to write her story for her. Ah, yes. In fa- <laughs> if, if, if Arthur had held on just a, like a couple years more, we might have gotten a chat, an AI episode perhaps. Maybe that's like, again, the new thing in the in Lakewood Elementary is that uh, they get a special AI to write their essays for them or something, which is mm. something that teachers have to watch out for and the people who mark those teachers assignments so yeah fern totally blanking has no ideas and muffy is having a guest writer at her fiction forum and fern imagines that shakespeare himself william shakespeare is going to come 400 years into the future and basically totally diss her for not having any story ideas listen i would not want to be in a battle of words with shakespeare uh, real heads know, real old heads rather, know that Shakespeare could spit with the best of them. Um, you know that that guy was a, uh, roast legend. Um, you definitely do not want to go toe to toe, or should I say word for word with one Billy Shakespeare. Or sonnet for sonnet. In, oh my in goodness that, in- gracious. Could you imagine it'd be a bloodbath, Will? And Fern is so uh, stressed out about this, she even shakes the camera. She gives you and me a little shake to (laughs) try and think up an idea. But eventually, as we begin the episode, Fern, very desperate, she does eventually find inspiration from LaDonna. LaDonna hasn't been around as much as I think that we thought that she would be this season. But here she is again. And we're going back to a character trait that she has shown so far, which is that she really likes to tell stories, especially about stories about her family, stories about her life. So Fern listens to her tell a story about her family, and she finds inspiration from this. She makes a whole new story and lifts entire elements from LaDonna's story about her Aunt Mabel. And we see this a couple of times throughout the episode with Recurring characters of Ferns, her Detective Watteau and uh, Detective Bastings character. So this is uh, Ferns' take on Hercule Poirot. Yeah, I know that this is supposed to be a parody of Detective Poirot, but because his name is Detective Watteau, I just think of Watto from Star Wars <laughs> Episode One. <laughs> Who owes me money, Annie? It's him, it's him and Anakin. Yeah, <laughs> it's like... I, somehow uh, Ferd's character is never playing chance dice. <laughs> uh, this chance dice is a covered in blood, and I, I don't feel so good about doing that voice. I can do it. It's just. <laughs> yeah, we're one of the many things we're reexamining from the prequels. You know what he's you know what he sounds like. He would be 
you know. Um, what? But speaking of voices, though, so we get this whole cutaway. It's this story about Detective Watteau and Bastings, who is uh, Watteau is Fern doing a French accent and with a mustache. Bastings is George, and they sort of, they have a Sherlock and Holmes kind of chemistry, but Watteau is meant to be like Poirot. They are going after somebody. It's like uh, instead of Ladonna's Aunt Mabel, it's Sable. So. The serial numbers are filed off, and it's this kind of detective story. They first suspect that it's Watteau's Wait a minute. nemesis. Brock Lesnar's wife? Hmm? Brock Lesnar's wife? No, never mind. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought that would get a laugh at le- out of you, at least. No, I, well, I didn't hear it at first, and then oh, as okay. you were explaining it, I was like, oh, I get it. I see. Uh, <laughs> um, so the gray, the gray Dove is Watteau's enemy, who we've seen is Binky. It's 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 Binky in like a typical detective noir story um, villain role. Again, mustache, like top hat, uh, almost like a, somebody who would be slinking around the streets of Whitechapel in the eighteen mm. hundreds Britain. He's got a uh, cape. Yes, he does. He does have a cape. You're right. And what what I like most about this, I said speaking of voices earlier, uh, Binky Bruce Dinsmore is the actor. We love Bruce Dinsmore. And you can tell that Bruce Dinsmore is Quebec-based because his French accent is fantastic. He's, mm. Binky speaking French sounds great. It's like the most, like, whereas Ferns as Watteau is kind of meant to be a little bit like, uh, you know, what what is the word? It's like Steve uses? Martin as the Pink Panther. Oh, it's when yes. they're talking about, uh, it's when they're talking about she has hunch. a hunch. Yeah, yeah like, but she I says have an unch, an unch. And you hear Bruce Dinsmore as Binky, and it's like so, like, you can tell that he practiced that for years mm. and years. He's really good at it, and it sounds great. So the Grey Dove is the initial suspect, but it's not him. It is this character, Sable, who is this old woman, and eventually she has a jetpack because that was part of LaDonna's story as well. Um, so Fern presents this as a story to the fiction forum. Everybody really loves it but LaDonna is offended that Fern took elements from her own story without asking and there are a little there's a little bit of tension here but eventually Fern gets away with it Lucas you ever see the movie um Secret Window wait with Johnny Depp wait yeah yeah uh oh my god yeah like I had a sleepover when I was like 13 (laughs) I barely I just remember I hated it I don't remember anything about it it's it's a bad it's a bad movie like you're right to feel that way but what really made me laugh is that you know LaDonna's LaDonna's got her accent that's kind of like this and in Secret Window it's John Turturro doing a similar accent and they're both essentially saying the same thing you stole my story (laughs) (laughs) LaDonna comes up and is just like, hey, you stole my story. And I'm like, yeah, this reminded me of that really bad movie, Secret Window. (laughs) Uh, That was all over the trailers back in 2003. LaDonna is not impressed by this. And Fern, again, finds herself in writer's block as she... There's there's no there's a bit of tension, but nothing really comes of this at this point. Fern is lost in writer's block again. She even has, imagines Shakespeare himself who is also voiced by Bruce Dinsmore, explaining what writer's block is. For any for any kids who maybe haven't encountered writer's block to this point, it's something that you and I are familiar with, but it might be the first time that kids are dealing with this uh, sort of mental, mental problem that some people can have, writers have all the time. She tries to call LaDonna on the phone, but she's asleep, and she ends up using another st- elements of another story that LaDonna kind of started to tell her, um, didn't exactly get into the details of. Um, 
and makes another story about like a woman, a clown who whose parrot is almost kidnapped by the gray dove. It's yeah, they're in, they're in the Congo. The Congo, yes. Um, there's a there's a part where they almost get hit with like a suction cup arrow with peanut butter on the end, and Hastings takes the arrow, but it's just got peanut butter on it. And just and Fern, as Watto says, ah, Watto, she is very allergic. <laughs> Uh, there's there's a, a part where they're using this prop uh, arrow as a clue. Edford says, only a clown would use this type of, how do you say, prop comedy. <laughs> prop comedy, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. I liked that. Fern had to come up with a second story because they extended Muffy's fiction for him another day. So this was her doing this again. And then LaDonna gets more upset that Fern has again stolen a story. So she comes up with a story you stole my story. Uh, on the spot, she tells a story about Ferg, with a G, a cat burglar who steals stories from a character named Ladella. We see uh, Fern as a cat burglar breaking into this mansion, and LaDonna is like a southern belle in this story. That's <laughs> If you notice in like the stories, of course, from Fern's point of view, she's Watteau, and in both of her stories, LaDonna's character is either like an old woman or like a clown with weird hair. And then in LaDonna's story, Fern is a thief and she is like this Southern belle with like a proper dress and like a very sophisticated Southern accent. Um, I also wanted to note here, we see Fern's character in LaDonna's story taking pictures. How, what was the last time you saw one of those long cameras? You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, those cameras are dope. Those cameras are super cool. Um, the cameras that are longer than they are tall. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, they a, almost, a friend of mine actually just purchased one recently who's like into like um, old like uh, uh, analog film photography. Um, but I you think don't some, see them around that much anymore. I think sometimes it can be shorthand for like spy camera because I don't mm. know exactly like I – my sister had one when I was younger, but I never really used it. And I'm not sure if it has any benefits over any cameras that we have today other than the fact that it's smaller. It can fit in your pocket. Yeah, you would. I'm no. I'm no expert. Um, though, okay. So, what's interesting about this is Ladonna is essentially like we were talking earlier about going sonnet to sonic with Shakespeare. She's subtweeting um, Fern <laughs> with this story, um, and this weirdly, this is going to be such an outside reference, Will. But like, do you know what autofiction is? Autofiction. Um, so, maybe. Autofiction is it's it's a combination of like. Um, an autobiographical piece with uh, someone inserts uh, fictional elements and the line is blurred what's real and what's not. Okay. Um, and this has been kind of like a, a, a popular postmodern writing technique. There's a very famous Norwegian novel called My Struggle, not to be confused with a, a different book called My Struggle. <laughs> but um, there's yeah. this guy, again, this is a really long explanation for this kind of weird aside. No, no, I'm, um, I'm into it. There's, I'm into there's, it. Th- there's this guy, uh, Mike Crumplar, who writes autofiction on Substack? Uh, Substack mm. about the um, the the kind of social scene in Dimes Square, New York. Okay. So all these kind of um, Manhattanite like art kids in Dimes Square, New York. 
Um, they have this kind of over-the-top lifestyle where th this is like the new hit seed. Williamsburg's so over, Will. It's all about Dimes Square. Anyway, this guy, Mike Crumplar, writes autofiction about, like, hanging out with these people and, like, partying with them. Um, and similar to this, this story that LaDonna tells, it just kind of seems like an excuse to, like, uh, talk bad about all these people and be right. like, yeah, this person did this and says this. And, um, it's, it's, you kind of get this like voyeuristic, like look into these people's lives. Um, but that's what this, I was like, huh, LaDonna's kind of almost doing auto fiction here. Hmm. Interesting. I, I, I feel like the closest thing I can think of to auto fiction is like, this is such an old example, but like, remember that, remember that book, a million little pieces that was supposedly like a memoir. Well, Most apparently of it was that made book up. Is, is just fiction. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, no autobiographical remember. elements Listen, whatsoever. I'll never forgive Oprah for her. I was, I was, I was talking to my roommate about that book the other day. And me and my roommate were both lamenting that when we were like 15, we were like, Whoa, this is so crazy. He was a drug addict, so he had to have dental surgery without any, like, sedatives because he was addicted to drugs. And we felt so betrayed when we learned that that guy made it all up. Wow. I, I only barely heard of it when it came out. I'm sorry that it was, uh, that it, that it was such a, such a <laughs> traumatic moment for you. No, it was mostly us joking about how incensed we were. That's like it's funny because the book is still enjoyable regardless. But when you're like right. a young edgy teen, like so much of the thrill is the fact that um, he actually went through it all. So when there was there was this big reveal that he lied about it after getting on Oprah's bestseller list. Um, that's just a fun. That's just a fun memory. <laughs> Bonding with my roommate over a million little pieces of all things. Would people really do that? Just go on Oprah and tell lies? <laughs> So yeah, they, they and this this devolves into an argument where they both are insulting each other by continuing to make up like, well, my story is going to be about someone named Labana, and then Ladonna's like, well, my story is going to be about somebody named Ferd, and insulting each other that way, and then Fern ultimately admits that she was wrong. She just didn't have any ideas for how to proceed forward. Um, and, I mean, this is all in one scene. Like, this is at the second day of the fiction forum. Fern admits that she was wrong, and LaDonna eventually uh, makes up with her. They decide that maybe it's better if they write a story together. Um, there's a funny line from Muffy while they were going on this argument, and she says, Okay, I'm officially bored. <laughs> and that one got a pop out of me. Them coming together to decide to make a story together is the ending and we finally get to find out who is the mystery author who will be part of the fiction forum of course it's ed crosswire reading from his autobiography a deal like you wouldn't believe <laughs> now this, i actually kind of like to read biggest, that this was the biggest laugh out of me through the whole episode uh, and you're right, Will. I, too, would like to read a deal like you couldn't believe. Uh, just given the quote, the opening line, uh, but he really knows how to grab an audience. Who knew Mr. Crosswire was such a good writer? Uh, I was born near the dump, but I knew I wasn't garbage. That's good. Oh, that's the American dream right there. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's that that could be that could be really something. And I, I man, I'd love to see uh, someone in the Arthur community really run with that. You could do some cool stuff. And now a word from us kids. This is a little bit more straightforward, not as much to say. A third grade class is pairing off, and they're doing a 
team project where one person is a writer and one person is a storyteller. So one person thinks of a true story and then the other adds interesting adds details to make it more interesting or funnier or just like wackier essentially. It's it's pretty much and they use the um kids drawing art style that we've seen in this segment many many times where they animate the kids drawings that go along with the story. Reminiscent um, of the show we talked about on For the Kids, uh, yeah. sticking around. You can see that kind of DNA in here. Mm-hmm. And one of the kids is named uh, Saeed, and his story is about being super Saeed. I thought he was very cute. And there's one other one where they're talking about doing zero-gravity soccer. Now, they don't go into the details of it, but, like, zero-gravity soccer, wouldn't that just be Blitzball without water? <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> isn't that Blitzball? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess it's – or it's like um, Rocket League without the cars. Sure. Uh, all right. What the, is that different? Okay. Uh, is is Moroccan League different than F1 or? Rocket League. Not oh, Moroc- Ro- Did you say Moroccan League? <laughs> Mor- I, heard, I heard Moroccan League. Yes, Rocket League without the cars. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just got uh, Blitzball uh, blitz vibes from this. Maybe maybe those kids will grow up to represent the Xanarkand Abes. Supporting this podcast is how it keeps going, and it's very easy to do. So here's how you can do that. If you're listening to this show and want to get the full back catalog of Elwood City Limits and all of its sister shows and offshoots, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and even more services. You can also go to our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Elwood City Limits, for the full back catalog. If we aren't on a service you use, please let us know. You can interact with us on social media. We're on Twitter, at ECL Podcast, Instagram, at at Elwood City Limits and twitch.tv slash Elwood City Limits pod for our occasional streams. We're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or you can email us and your email might be read right on the show. Elwood City Limits at gmail.com. Finally, for exclusive content, including entire side series like For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast and ECL Origins, subscribe to us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. That's all for now. Thanks a lot for listening. And now back to the show. And now, apparently, to a controversial episode, Sue Ellen vegs out. Now, I'd be interested, of course, to listen to reception from patrons and listeners alike. Uh, you know, usually, like, a couple hours after we post the episode on Patreon, uh, people are right on that, which I love. I love that. I really do. Um, and, yeah, so I hope that we can kind of understand this episode's reputation or maybe even in talking about it, we'll kind of figure out what, what sticks and what doesn't. So in the cold open, Sue Ellen is talking about how recently she made friends. She went to a farm and made friends with a pig named Sally. Now to be clear, when I say that Sally is not a funny animal. Mm. She is a pig. She is a Mm. pig who cannot talk. And Dear listener, if this is the first time listening to Elwood City Limits, there's a little thing we like to call the animal hierarchy, (laughs) where sometimes in Arthur, uh, Arthur, he's a famous aardvark, as we all know, but then sometimes you see other animals that are just regular who don't wear clothes and talk like Arthur's animal friends, and you think to yourself, well, this doesn't make any sense. How, How is this? And we've learned to just kind of not think about it too much, but every once in a while, an episode comes around... And really just throws it in our face. 
where it's just impossible to ignore, so we have to sound like a broken record and bring it up again. And this might be, in, in seasons and seasons and seasons, the most flagrant example of the animal hierarchy uh, I've ever seen. I, I, I was, I, at first I was like, maybe this is why it's controversial, because my head was spinning thinking <laughs> about Sue Ellen and her pig friend and the ethical implications of everybody else in this episode uh, based off this moment. Well, and she goes out of her way to say Sally is a very smart pig. Like, she knows how to do tricks. She knows how to do basically, like, stuff you would teach a dog. And that's what endears Sue Ellen to Has her so much. Has there been a pig person in Arthur? Like, usually the one we see is, like, there's only one episode where duck people show up. It's when uh, Muffy has movers. And then since then, we've only ever seen non-anthropomorphized ducks. Uh, but have we ever seen a pig man? Not um, I'm I'm doing the search right now. Oh, oh, so kind of. There was Andy Warthog, which is the Andy Warhol um, <laughs> uh, sub in. So he is a warthog, but that's different from a pig, like a like a like a farm pig. Um, there is a category of pigs on the Arthur Wiki. So, and thank you because I can't remember all of them. So. Uh, pigs who have appeared in the Arthur series. We've got P- Sally in this episode. We've got <laughs> Snooter, who is Nadine's uh, imaginary friend, I think. It's in the imaginary friend category. Andy Warthog. And then there's Casey Tulips, who was the TV host who interviewed Matt Damon. It's a parody of Charlie Rose. So we see him in one episode. So there are two. There's one. He's a pig, and Andy Warthog is a warthog. So... Kinda, yeah. Like, we've also seen, like, despite the dog and baby episodes, like, Pal is mostly, you know, meant to be, like, just a dog. And we have seen dog kids as well. Many times. Like, that. Like this This really does harken back to, like, the very early episodes of the show. This is something we latched onto, and it's a hallmark of that time. And occasionally it comes back to haunt us, because it's just, like, I even wrote down, oh, God, the animal hierarchy, because it's just... So she's a smart pig. Sue Ellen, what are you if not a smart version of your own animal? <laughs> yeah, remember when everyone was going camping and they were scared of a bear? And it was right. like brain was there? <laughs> yeah. It's it's weird. And we don't have any answers for it. It's just funny to bring it up when it shows up. So Well, okay. Wait, it's yeah. extra. But this is why it's extra weird in this episode. Because this episode is all about how because Sue Ellen had this moment with this pig... She has decided to become vegetarian. Yeah. And, you know, it's always weird to think about the animal hierarchy, but it's extra weird to think about it in the context of this episode because it's like, <laughs> do these guys, like, well, how do these guys feel about eating animals given that they are all of them? It, it's just, <laughs> you, you can't think about it too much or else you start to get a headache. You, or you get you start to get into Zootopia areas where it's just mm, like mm. we get into like the predator prey dynamic, which is clearly something that Arthur never meant to do. So it is a little bit weird and something it's not prepared to confront necessarily. So yeah, like you said, uh, Sue Ellen, in making friends with Sally, decides to become a vegetarian. This is very shocking to her friends. We she tells them uh, during Lakewood Elementary celebration of Cinco de Mayo. And she asks for a meatless dish. She has a calabacita, which, as I'm to understand, is a zucchini or squash-based recipe. So she has this, and her friends are very shocked that she's apparently not eating meat anymore. There's shock of just, like, what, you mean you're not eating bacon anymore? You're not eating, like, burgers or whatever? And Muffy shows up. First of all, did you 
you see Muffy's lunch here? Like it's it's she's she has to be getting it from outside because she's got like a sirloin steak, mashed potatoes, and onions. It's like I'm going to the keg tomorrow. That's what I'm gonna get. Yeah, it's not on theme for the Cinco de Mayo stuff that everybody else is eating. Which, by the way, this is the rare time. I, it's we're kind of cheating um, uh, because I was just listening to a wrestling podcast talking about events coming up on Cinco de Mayo. We're pretty far still from May fifth. Yeah, uh, maybe for the free listeners, this will be a little bit closer. But it's one of the rare moments where the Arthur episode we're watching it's kind of syncing up with the season that we're currently in right now, which That's I thought is fun. Um, but yeah, Buffy is like she's got mashed potatoes and gravy. Everybody else is eating Mexican food. <laughs> and 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 it's Muffy, so it's it's, it's got to be like top tier. So Muffy makes makes reference a couple times in this episode to a very minor character we've seen before, Capri Devapita, which is a uh, uh, celebrity, like a Paris Hilton style celebrity that Muffy uh, really follows and fawns over. So Capri Devapita is going vegetarian so Muffy decides to do that especially after Francine says that she couldn't last one day so Muffy decides to go vegetarian essentially as a challenge and is very gung-ho about it but she's finding it more challenging than Sue Ellen so first of I mean I think I should have mentioned this at the top uh don't watch this episode if you're hungry there's a lot of really good looking food in this especially if you're a meat eater man I would feel bad for you if your stomach was empty. I've been uh, having indigestion all day, so I couldn't get hungry by anything. Not included in the good-looking food, however, is when they go to chicken licking. Yeah. Um, and this is pre, you know, Impossible Whopper, pre-Impossible Burger, uh, that, that infamous meme of the guy's uh, mouth agape pointing oh, yeah. at the imitation <laughs> chicken nuggets. There's pretty all of those options of arriving at fast food places. So they go to the chicken lick and ask what they have that's vegetarian. Uh, and what they have is a pickle slice with mustard on it. That's uh, which... the, yeah, that's the only vegetarian thing that they offer, which I think even in like 2013, we were starting to get like places that had veggie burgers. And those are pretty like if you dress them up right, you you could barely tell. Like, I remember the first time I had a veggie burger was by accident from Harvey's, and it was, like, just as good as the burger. So most fast food places by then. And, of course, you have other options like McDonald's has the filet fish which is, I mean, it's also a type of like meat alternative. So it's not exactly, like, imitation meat or something like that. So in 2013, not a crazy thing. But, yeah, the only meatless thing is the pickle with mustard, which, like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna need a bit more than that, dog. They go into Chicken Lickin' because they're in the mall, and Muffy completely doesn't even think about the fact that chicken is also meat. <laughs> the idea is that... You know, throughout this episode, Muffy and later Francine are getting into vegetarianism essentially on a dare, whereas Sue Ellen's comes from a deeply held belief that she has thought about and made a decision on, and she's quietly, not implied, but it's pretty much like she has the right approach to vegetarianism versus Muffy and Francine. Muffy is doing it because it's fashionable. And because she was challenged. And in the scene after the mall, Muffy is actually going back to eating meat because Capri DeVapita changed her diet back to meat eating. And so she gets a little bit of guff from Francine, but Muffy uh, goes back at her and says that Francine couldn't give up meat for one day. So Francine, on a dare, goes meatless, and she says, I'm not eating any meat for the rest of my life. And all this whole time, as Muffy and Francine are going through this, Sue Ellen's in the background just like, uh, hey, guys, like, no, that's not supposed... You don't have to do it this way. Right. Um, There's she's a part where uh, Francine's... Or, or Muffy, rather, is is trying to see... 
you know, how fast and loose with these rules she could be. Uh, her dad is like, they're like carving up a roast beast <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's like mutton and, or something. Yeah, and uh, uh, Muffy calls uh, Sue Ellen to ask if it counts if like meat accidentally falls into her mouth. Mm. Does that count as breaking her vegetarianism? But this is where Sue Ellen says, you know, you don't have to do this. No one's telling you that uh, uh, you have to be a vegetarian. You simply could just, like, do whatever you want. Uh, and Suelle, uh, uh, Buffy, rather, says, um, she's like, and let uh, Francine be able to rub it in? Absolutely not. Uh, so she continues uh, trying to be vegetarian. Um, and since we are just leaving Easter as we're recording this, uh, for all you Catholics out there, it's like I used to play the same game of Lent of, like, what if I go somewhere and I accidentally have snack food like what if i accidentally have chips does that count am i going to hell um so it's a little bit of a similar like mm-hmm. game of like i i gave up a uh, uh tiktok for lent this year mm. uh which i i didn't actually re-download and open the app of tiktok the whole time however uh every once in a while will i like to watch uh streamer xqc on twitch i like watching xqc streams okay when he's out when he's very lazy he'll do a tiktok react stream oh where yeah he's watching tiktok so i'm watching someone else watch tiktok and that felt a little wrong that felt a little bit not kosher but i would not be seeking it out i'd be like oh, i'm watching my xqc stream and it's like okay time for tiktok i'd be like Ugh. but i think what made it feel so wrong, it was like I was still getting that dopamine hit of like, whoa, yeah. so much content so quickly. Was it on a Sunday? Because if it was, then that's okay. Are you allowed to do it on a Sunday? See, I'm not yeah, up with my that, Lent rules. That's, that's a little known Lent hack that I figured out whoa. when I was, you know, I used to be very religious when I was younger. And yeah, Sunday is Sunday is a feast day, so you're allowed to do that on Huh. On Sunday. Well, no, not only did I not do that, I've yeah, I don't think I'm gonna re-download TikTok, Will, which is a far cry from this show. If you've been listening for like over four years, I've been always the one explaining TikTok to Will, but I think I want it out of my life. So uh and also my work emailed everybody that it has to be off of their work phones. Ah, so okay. uh uh yeah, I don't think I think I'm done with TikTok for the time being. There's uh no that's that's a good that's a good way to live and now you can move to Instagram Reels with all oh the God. other old millennials Ugh. like me. <laughs> no, I know people keep asking me like, oh, are you just gonna watch Instagram Reels now? And I'm like, never. No, no it's thank you. no, it's just reposted TikTok. It's literally the same thing and and somehow worse. Um, so yeah, Francine not is going meatless. Uh, she goes with Sue Ellen to Brains Mom's ice cream shop for vegetarian frozen yogurt, which appears to be frozen yogurt with like a cucumber slice in it, maybe. Well, this is weird, too, because they're not saying that they're going to be vegan. So I was under the impression that regular ice cream was vegetarian, right? Like, it's only mm. veganism when you're not allowed to have any animal byproduct. Um, for instance, uh, there's a part later on when Francine is trying to abstain from uh, eating uh, meat, and uh, her sister gives her a big thing of cheese, which, again, yes. yeah. would, not be, would not be an option for, for a vegan. Yes. Uh, my roommate's vegan, so I hear about this stuff. Or no, excuse me, my roommate's vegetarian, so I hear about these differences all the right. time. Gotcha, um, okay. But, uh, so yeah, it's weird that you would need a vegetarian frozen yogurt. Yeah, and it's and it's like, uh, I don't know how vegetarian it is with like a slice of whatever vegetables in there. So Muffy, unfortunately, being a bad friend, is tempting Francine and Sue Ellen, but mostly Francine. She brings over double Bubsy burgers, uh, which are... 
so aromatic. It's literally like, you know, it's like the pie on the windowsill uh, aroma that's going around. And Francine is very tempted. I'm uh, like, as I said before, I had, I've had indigestion all day. I feel terrible. And I'm almost glad that I did watching this so that I didn't get hungry for this delicious looking cheeseburger. In fact, Francine is so swept up in it that she uh, begins to see the burger is talking to her. They reuse an old character model. Remember the episode, the Binky's Nightlight episode? Wait, and this Bin- is the same? Okay, it's funny that you say that because I wrote down that this is some classic uh, Arthur Nightmare fuel. Classic, like, art rare, Arthur horrible, horrifying situation. And I thought it was reminiscent of that Binky's Nightlight episode with the with the big scary burger. Little do I know that that's, they literally used the same, like, model. That's crazy. Yeah, it 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 basically is, and just like the the burger begging to be eaten, and Francine literally is talking to it, and Sue Ellen has to be like, "Snap out of it, Francine! What are you doing?" So yeah, and you mentioned like Catherine later on. Francine's back at home. Muffy delivers a huge like meat heavy order of Chinese food to the place, and again, sounds great. If I didn't have indigestion, I'd be way hungrier. Um, while Catherine is mentioning that. When you go vegetarian, and she seems to be speaking from experience, so maybe Catherine is vegetarian as well. Um, she's talking about the virtues of eating nuts, seeds, and then later cheese to make sure you get your protein because you can't just you can't just you know have you need to get protein even if you're a vegetarian. But and she says nuts and seeds are great uh, sources of protein, which I agree. And Francine says a great source of protein. Yeah, if you're a squirrel. Well, Francine, maybe you are. I don't know. Maybe there are squirrel people in Elwood City. What do I know? Yeah, there are apparently it's, pigs and pig people. So it's, it's, it's Francie being specious in this moment. <laughs> God, oh, let's not even let's not even think about if we need to bring that kind of a term in here. Yeah. So had, had she been talking about Italians, would she be like, oh, "Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're eating a lot of spaghetti and meatballs." <laughs> it's a great source of protein. Yeah, if you're Italian. <laughs> if you're Italian, yeah, prosciutto is really great source of protein. <laughs> if you're one of those Italians, the gabagool. Muffy is really trying to tempt Francine, and Francine gives the Chinese food to the rest of her family and like facetiously thanks Muffy the next day. So Muffy's big final plan to get back at Francine and get her to break is to organize a potluck dinner with all of the kids and ensure that everybody brings a meat dish. And so they all bring it. They all look pretty good. Now, one of the things, I mean, there's a couple, we see a couple of the different, um, you know, like Binky brings hot dogs. Fern brings a shepherd's pie that she made with lamb? I've never heard of that before. I mean, it's it's a pretty pretty literal shepherd's pie. Eh? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure it can I, be done. I'm just used to like mm. it would have to be ground lamb, I suppose, because shepherd's yes. pie is usually ground uh, beef. Mm. At least in my in my uh, estimation, I was just like kind of weirded out by that. Uh, Francine and Sue Ellen are also invited. They bring um, vegetarian dishes. Uh, Sue Ellen's is like a kind of decorated up. I forget the exact term for it, but it's like a cauliflower with stuff on it, which the cauliflower and Mm, uh, (laughs) Francine brings Francine's brings ratatouille, I believe, or is it risotto? Two very different dishes, Will. I mean, I wanna, ratatouille would I think make more sense because ratatouille. ratatouille is literally just a bunch of vegetables. Yeah, uh, it, like it's, it's ratatouille. Vegetables. It's got to be ratatouille. Um, you think I remember because the name ratatouille. They, they get inside. They give the plates to Muffy. This is, this is one of the rudest things that Muffy's done in a long time. Ha! Not in front of them, but she goes to the kitchen and she dumps both of their plates into the garbage. <laughs> 
It's so mean. Like, man. Like, I know she's trying to get back at Francine, but that is, like, way past the social boundary. That is messed up. Mm, if anybody, there's a, cl- a lot of good Arthur Savage moments on uh, YouTube, <laughs> yeah. but they're mostly comprised of uh, earlier episodes, like episodes from seasons one to three. This uh, definitely needs uh, to be placed in a Arthur Savage moments compilation. So that there's very little vegetable dishes left. Um, it's all like it's all a lot of meat stuff. It looks really good. There is also just like a large towering plate of spaghetti and meatballs. So like that you can just I don't know, like you can just take a a forkful from or something. It's just a weird way to serve that. So Muffy is trying to make Francine feel like she has to eat meat, but Francine grabs some collard greens, which I've never had collard greens before. I've never had the opportunity. Good. I bet they seem I good. Mean, how much how much uh, hip hop from the West Coast have you listened to, Will? Because they they talk about collard greens quite a bit. Uh, so maybe I I was predisposed to enjoy it by listening to that music so much. Uh, but I like collard greens quite a quite a lot. They I would have lo- a bit like if you get like um, Boneyard's barbecue. Oh, boneheads. Um, yeah, boneheads rather. Yeah, boneyard. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's late. We're recording later than we usually do. Yeah, yeah right. if Bonehead, Bonehead is barbecue, you could get collard greens on the side. Ooh, okay. I got to go back there. Especially if they're collard greens as LaDonna made them here, cooked in duck fat. And then Muffy uses that as her gotcha to see that Francine is actually eating animal, something that has been cooked with animal product. And this is... The, the bridge too far for Sue Ellen and she gets very angry and she explains to everybody she's been getting up to the point of telling everybody why she's vegetarian but they've kind of stopped her and she angrily explains that she stopped eating meat because some animals like Sally in the cold open are her friends which is a very I think um I don't want to I don't want to say because I'm not a vegetarian I've never been a vegetarian but among younger vegetarians especially in media that seems to be like you know I think of like Lisa Simpson or mm-hmm. Emma from Degrassi the Next Generation it's just finding out that like oh I like animals a lot and I don't want to eat them because I consider them my friends which is like that's a that's a very normal um, starting point for some young vegetarians and makes a lot of sense and she's just very angry that Muffy and Francine would kind of treat it in the way that she's done especially Muffy trying to like get back at Francine so she kind of storms out um Muffy and my, Francine uh, apologize here's a, here's a yeah. little story from my my life this is for, for the yeah we're gonna get really into it here with this episode I uh was my I had a long-term girlfriend in high school and uh one candidate a day uh we ordered an extra large meat lovers pizza uh, mm-hmm. And sat down and watched the movie Okja when it came out on Netflix. Oh remember, yeah, have you ever seen the movie Okja, Will? Yeah, I've, I've seen uh, Okja. Uh, and so upon watching Okja, um, th- I've never seen such. And I was around, you know, when family members had passed away in this girl's life, uh, and I had never seen such a visceral emotional reaction from anything than when she watched the movie Okja and from that moment on and to this girl's credit she's absolutely stuck to this she was a vegetarian forevermore and so wow. that meat lover's pizza was the last morsel of meat she ever had uh, because she was so inspired to go vegetarian by the movie Okja if you've ever seen the movie Okja uh, dear listeners you would kind of understand that movie definitely does give you a little bit of a guilt trip about eating meat especially because everybody acts like the Okjas would be so tasty 
Well, and with film and TV and books, it's sometimes it just takes seeing things from a different perspective to change your perspective. So I can totally mm-hmm. understand how something like that could happen from a movie like Okja, which has a more prominent environmental, pro-environmental message than a lot of others do. Muffy and Francine make up and decide to have some of the meat dishes there. But the episode ends with Sue Ellen going back to school. They are serving meatless dishes, and in fact, they are doing so because Muffy and Bailey, mostly Bailey, are providing meatless dishes for meatless Mondays at the cafeteria. They are trying to be more respectful and inclusive of Sue Ellen's choices. They are still going to eat meat, but they want to make sure that Sue Ellen has uh, the op- has enough options and enough as many as the other kids have in being vegetarian. So that's pretty cool. Like that's a, that's a neat way to leave that off. All right. Uh, so we've got a Fern episode and a Sue Ellen episode. Two characters that don't get a lot of play all that much in terms of their own feature. And you could argue that maybe they one of them doesn't. Uh, so let's go back. Fern in the case of the stolen story. Lucas, how did this one strike you? Well, it wasn't for all you Fern lovers out there. It wasn't quite a Fern episode because it's just as much of a LaDonna episode as it is a Fern episode in a way. Right. Um, and it also doesn't really feel that true to Fern. I don't know. She, her plagiarizing LaDonna's stories. Uh, maybe it's because we like Fern, so we don't like like seeing her in a kind of uh, unflattering light. Uh, but I was like, this doesn't seem like something Ferd would do. And sure, she explains that she has writer's block, and that's why she's able to been, been able to be so creative and write poetry before. But I don't know, something about this does, doesn't ring true to the character. Uh, really, the highlights of these episodes are uh, kind of the the episode within the episode that takes place in Ferd stories, where everybody's talking with French accents, and Binky is the gray dove. That stuff is really the kind of most entertaining part. Anytime we're in the real world... Uh, and it's just people kind of getting mad at each other about stealing each other's fictional work, I kind of checked out a little bit. Um, I will say the highlight of the episode for me is um, (laughs) the part when we're kind of having this big reveal where LaDonna's calling out Fern for stealing her stories, and they're both kind of trying to one-up each other by uh, making up stories on the spot to expose one another, and Muffy kind of is like... Can we just... Neither of these stories are very interesting. Like, <laughs> Muffy just cares about the literature and the quality of the literature. Uh, and I liked that moment. But yeah, this this was kind of a clunker for me. What did you think, Will? I agree. I didn't really like this. And I must say that this is not the first Fern Spotlight episode to be, like, one of the worst of its season. And I don't think... You know, we've said before, I've said before, one, Fern's one of my favorite characters. And I think that a lot of times... When you give her the spotlight, she can she can give you something that you can't get from a lot of other characters. But I don't know. It seems that sometimes they don't really know what to do with her. And in this case, I wouldn't put the blame on, you know, having it be a LaDonna episode. Like, it's, it's whatever. Like, I see the episode they're trying to do. I just didn't think it was all that interesting, to be honest with you. Like, the fact the addressing plagiarism, I think, is something that is interesting. And they don't name it as plagiarism, but you know, passing off someone else's ideas as your own. I think that's something you can introduce to kids at this age. Just for whatever reason, I wasn't really, eh, I wasn't really feeling it. Like, the Watteau stuff, honestly, I can kind of take or leave. I think the voices they do are funny, and they do at least add some visual interest. But it's also just like, okay, well, we're doing this for the next three minutes, so whatever. And, yeah, the actual conflict I was, it, conflict was solved, like, really, really quickly. So it just felt a little flimsy, and, yeah, I, I, I didn't really care for it. Again, I'd be interested to know what kind of the general reaction is to Sue Ellen Veg's out because 
I think I fall more on the stage of liking it. Like, uh, I, I, I'm not crazy about it. I, I think it's pretty good. And I do think that the message that it's going for is communicated fairly well. The problem is that it's just kind of not Sue Ellen's episode for a lot of it. It's a Francine and Muffy episode. Sue Ellen makes her decision early on and doesn't really change. Things are changed around her. Muffy and Francine learn more, eventually learn more about Sue Ellen's choice and decide to help her. She's kind of more of the inciting incident to everything going on. So we don't, we, we, we do learn about Sue Ellen's decision, but it's pretty surface level. Like we don't see her wrestling with it. We don't see her really doing much to come to terms with the fact that she's vegetarian and how maybe that could conflict with her life as it is already. It's not easy to just stop eating a whole sector of food, especially if that's, you know, you're so young and you have to think of like, okay, how are you going to get your protein now? And I think there could have been a way to do this that incorporated her a lot more. Also, we've been more on Muffy's side lately. She's been pretty good so far. This is really feels like a backslide into like Muffy is straight up rude in this one in many, in many ways that we pointed out. And that's too bad. I mean, Muffy does slot into the antagonist role whenever they need her to. But now when she does, it's kind of like, ah, this feels like we are throwing away a little bit of the goodwill earned from episodes where she is the protagonist. So I appreciate what it's going for. And there are stuff of stuff about it that I like. And it was also kind of fun to talk about in terms of the animal hierarchy and also the type of food. I thought there was very interesting food on display. But I and, and again, I would say I'm a bit more on the positive side, maybe just like the positive side of mid, I suppose, just because I think that for the message that they wanted to impart, I think they could have done it a bit differently and maybe been more effective and also used more of a character who doesn't get a lot of use anyway. It's it's I am so happy, Will, that uh, I didn't. I knew you said that this episode was kind of controversial, but I haven't read any of the sentiment. I'm excited to see what people say in the Discord uh, because I had no idea what we were getting into going into it. And I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised. You know, at the start of this episode when it's, it's you know, Sue Ellen playing with the pig, I thought I could see the whole episode in my mind's eye. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, she's going to be hanging out with this pig and she's going to try and be vegetarian and she's going to tell it to the group and they're not going to understand it and maybe they're going to try and, and make her not be vegetarian anymore. So I was actually somewhat pleasantly surprised to see that the episode wasn't a Sue Ellen episode at all and it was about it, – it's not about – uh, the merit of being a vegetarian or respecting your friend's decision. It's about, like, the difference between doing something because you ideologically believe in it and doing something for, like, clout or to one-up someone or uh, out of, out of like, spite. Uh, which, once again, uh, is the kind of angle and the kind of moral that I feel like only Arthur can achieve, mm. uh, given its audience, right? I think a lesser children's show would just make this about... Uh, oh, my friend wants to be vegetarian, and I don't understand it. And then at the end, I have to respect their decision. Only Arthur could make it about, like, you shouldn't do something out of spite. You should do something because you legitimately, earnestly want to do it and believe in it. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I I, th- I liked this episode. I thought it was fairly entertaining. Um, lots of, of funny lines. You know, meat, it's so meaty. <laughs> um, a, a symphony of flavors. Ex- uh, uh, it's like a symphony Performed in the key of meat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, 
Yeah, I, I, I was truthfully entertained, and I liked that it wasn't kind of... It was a nuanced moral uh, with a little bit of depth. And I kind of, for one, you know, I'm, I am think I've come around to being a full-on Muffy fan here. So I even like it when wow. she goes back into cartoonishly evil Muffy mode. Because um, hmm. it's nice to have just, like, a character that's just straight up bad. And, and a bad that intentionally, right? Like, sometimes I feel that way about, about Brain where I'm just like, oh, man, I can't stand Brain in this episode. But I don't feel like the writers are want me to feel that way. I think the writers want us to be like... Wow, that's really wild that uh, Buffy dumped their ratatouille into the garbage. Uh, yeah, so I liked it. Yeah, and of course she's not above uh, learning from this experience and getting better. So she doesn't end the episode as a villain, uh, but she she does dabble in it a little bit here. So yeah, we only have one episode left of season 16 before we're going to have to wrap it all up and keep on going to the next season. So thank you very much for listening to us talk about this episode of Arthur here on Elwood City Limits. As I said before, later this month, we will be having our next episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, and we got quite a few submissions uh, from patrons about what shows we should be covering. One of the ones with the most suggestions was Peep in the Big Wide World, so that's what we will be talking about. That's a first-time watch for Lucas and I. That's on patreon.com slash Limits. Next ECL episode is the season finale of season 16. And as I said before, and as DJ said in our email segment, this is another one that is quite controversial. I did not think that it was controversial on the level of Arthur's big hit, which, whoa, you need to be careful when you invoke that in Arthur circles. That's a serious, that's a serious accusation. And that would be so funny, I forgot to laugh. And the episode is paired with is The Best Day Ever. So that will be the final episode of ECL Season 16, which will be coming your way very, very soon. Uh, I am making my way towards vacation as it's my anniversary, and I will be heading off to Toronto for a couple of days. By the time you hear this, uh, you know, <laughs> sorry if I'm not able to uh, I'm not able to see you in Toronto, but I need a little bit of me time, if you don't mind. So... Let's hope for uh, safe travels uh, to you as well, Lucas. And uh, hopefully the Toronto weather is just as good as the ones we've been having here in Nova Scotia. Yes, I, I, I uh, safe travels to the six. Yeah, yes, I'll be going through the six with my woes. God, oh my God, I'm so old. Nobody says that anymore. Let's, uh, let's get out of here. <laughs> That's Elwood City Limits. Thanks a lot for joining us for this episode, and we'll see you. No, mm-mm, don't, I don't say that yet. Thank you for joining us for this episode. My name's Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. Only a clown would use this type of, how you say, prop comedy. We'll see you next time.